There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie! Yeah, we're gonna be a movie! Starring everybody and me! There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. Hey, a movie! We can watch it all develop! Starring everybody and me! We'll take the world! And we are going to start right here. Hello, and welcome to a Rattledge and Broadcasting Network podcast triple feature. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And tonight, I'm so excited. I have a bona fide professional critic. See, I'm, I'm done with all of you. All of you regular podcasters, and you're all, yelling about all of Marvel you, and Star Wars movies. All of you plebes, the hoi right. I have ascended, and I have grabbed hold of a true professional to sit here and discuss with me three art house weirdo films. Ladies and gentlemen, from the critically acclaimed podcast, which I talk about incessantly on these shows, <laughs> Whitney Seibold. How do you do, sir? Hello. It's so good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. To talk about these films aren't that well. Lamb might be a little weird, but the, the <laughs> other films aren't super weird. I've seen so much weirder. I mean, come on. I was going to say, Pig is probably the least weird of the bunch. Mm. You know, um, so I, I when I saw the uh, trailer for Pig over the summer, so that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about Wolf, Lamb, and Pig mm. because I'm I, that's my sense of humor, and I'm like, I got to do these three barnyard art house films together <laughs> um oh we, we gotta I, wait wait hold on we have to come up with like like a a, a sub-genre term for for like <laughs> barnyard art house movies like uh barn barn exploitation of, of some kind or, <laughs> or uh, like like ho hoof core you can call it hoof core uh i'm move. down although, with hoof core yeah, although I wolves don't have hooves but it, it'll fit later when i bump this on twitter i'm going with hoof core Again, I'm going to get that trending. <laughs> That's perfect. I saw the trailer for Pig over the summer. I actually saw it with a friend of mine while we were on vacation. And I pitched, he's, you know, at the time, I think like Snake Eyes was and uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Old were out. And I had planned to do those when I got back. So I'm like, so we can't go see those. I'm seeing those with other people. Like, let's go see Pig. I hear it's John Wick, but he's, but instead of a dog, it's a pig. <laughs> and it's not, and it wasn't that at all, but we ended up loving it. And I have mm. to tell you, Whitney, I am, as, as much as I got into podcasting and talking about, and trying to examine the summer blockbusters and, you know, mm. what are these films doing? How are they affecting the film industry? You know, are the, you know, is it just jingling keys, the movie, or is it, you know, some, there's some, something to be had here. Um, over time, I've really gotten back to my roots of getting into like independent film, art house film, stuff like that, especially the stuff of the 90s. Earlier in the summer, we did a movie called Spun and stuff like that. And, mm, and not yeah. everyone's always with me on those. But um, I want to hear a little bit about you. For those of you who have never heard Critically Acclaimed before, tell us a little bit about your background. Oh, God, what is my background? Well, I'm a Leo. Uh, no, um, <laughs> my... Uh... I, I have been a part uh, podcasting with my podcasting partner, William Bibiani, uh, since 2011. Uh, he and I were neighbors. It turns out we had similar interests and we ended up just sort of falling into the biz together. He had a job that required a podcasting partner and we've been sort of doing it in one form or another ever since. 
prior to that, we had both been uh, writing here and there in sort of a very loose freelance fashion. But yeah, we've all we've both uh, always pretty much been deeply interested in film. Uh, I majored in film in school. If that's something you need to hear about my background, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've been podcasting for a really long time. We ended up launching our own network a couple of years back, and now we've been doing that. And uh, it's been very freeing uh, running our own network because we get to talk about whatever films we want. Uh, there's no mandate. We don't necessarily have to see the big commercial releases. We do, but we can push them mm -hmm. off to the side if they don't interest us that much. Uh, and as such, yeah, we've been able to get into the weirdo stuff we're more interested in. Uh, last year, the pandemic year, has mm -hmm. been uh, weirdly exhilarating in that when when all of the big blockbusters were kind of out of the picture, theaters were mm -hmm. closed and a lot right. of the studios were delaying their bigger releases, that kind of opened the door for us to have deeper conversations about little things that other people wouldn't have noticed otherwise. So right. uh, the, the film I like to go to was uh, The Vast of Night, which was this really wonderful uh tiny tiny budget independent movie about uh, an alien invasion but it was mostly through like monologues and conversations and really foreboding soundscapes mm -hmm. uh, it, it was the year that uh, we can kind of look to streaming and see a lot of what of uh, a lot of what the more interesting things were coming out of that you know those venues that uh, studios were putting their money into so we got to discover things like uh, the small axe cycle which was you know the best films of the year uh, and going back to the blockbusters was a little bit disenchanting we uh <laughs> it's like okay yeah i mean i i do like you know if, if it's a good exciting action picture i'm gonna say so but the the conversations that are more interesting to a, a, a freak like me is mm -hmm. uh, you know really things that are really unusual things that are trying to push the boundaries a little bit in some way or another whether it's really strange and off-putting whether it's really horrifying or if it's just really tapping into a, a deeper facet of the human experience that you might not run into in a big mainstream blockbuster, which I don't want to say they all fulfill the same job, but they are there to entertain uh, mm -hmm. a really broad, uh, broad audience. And so there tends to be less exploration of uh, maybe more complex human themes or, or it, it, they're not there to slow you down. Mm -hmm. They're not there to calm you. They're not there to uh, provoke. They're there to kind of comfort, uh, you know, give, give you something that you are kind of familiar with already. And those, uh, for me, those are less interesting conversations. I, I tend to aim my eye toward uh, things that might uh, challenge me or even hurt me a little bit. Uh, but yeah. yeah, that's that's the kind of freak I am. When I was in college, um, I'm not a, I wasn't a film major, but I took a bunch of film classes, directing classes, stage classes, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, my friend and I used to haunt the Tower Records as a reference from back in the day. Um, okay. And we would and great. we would go. Yeah. When DVDs were like a, a new and new and wonderful thing and a lot of stuff um, like a lot of the Roger Corman B movies, a lot of the the black exploitation films. Mm -hmm. We're like soul cinema. We used to haunt the Tower Records and go through the DVD bins looking for all these old movies. I really fell in love with like the decade of the, the 70s decade of movies, that sort of thing. Uh -huh. And, you know, like you, I um, 
I got caught up in the cycle of having to chase the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies. And not that I don't love them. Uh, many of them I do. They've brought me a lot of joy. But I was starting to miss those days where I would watch things like Irreversible with my friends. And we were like, oh, my God, what is this that we're watching? And the movie, oddly enough, that got me back into remembering that I used to love independent cinema and weirdo movies was Zola. Have you, did you see Zola this year? And unfortunately, I haven't. That's actually one of the <laughs> ones that, that passed me by this year, just in sort of mm. the, the to-do of, of all the other releases. Um, but yes, I have heard nothing but positive things about Zola. It's so good. And that is right in my my wheelhouse. It's just two strippers on a road trip, and it's hysterical. But um <laughs> So, yeah, so when I saw that, um, I, I hadn't gotten to Lamb when it first came out, but I had heard it was this really, like, it was described as a horror movie, and I mm. guess kind of, and I was like, okay, I'm interested in this, I just never had a chance to see it until uh, I came up with the idea for this podcast, and I had heard about Lily Rose Depp and Wolf, um, and what that was about, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna give that a shot, and like I said, we already talked about Pig, so let's jump into it. Let's talk about Wolf, uh, which actually just mm. came out. And wide release, which shocked the heck out of me. <laughs> um, when, when Nightmare Alley abandoned its spot on the calendar for December 3rd and moved to, of all things, against Spider-Man on December 17th, it left nothing in place for December 3rd. And the only wide release left was this movie Wolf, which is this Irish-Polish film about a, uh, a man who suffers from species dysphoria. And he's committed to an asylum where he gets treatment by a therapist called the zookeeper and there's all these other kids in there and they all think they're these different animals and i heard your review on mm. critically acclaimed and i wasn't sure if it was it was the last one you guys did so i wasn't sure if you just ran out of time or ran out of things to say about this um the okay. whole <laughs> the, the whole thing about this and i'll pass it over to you uh to start us off is it's Gosh, how long is this thing? It was uh, just a little over an hour and a half. And mm. it's basically you just follow the treatment of these patients in this asylum. And over the course of time, the treatments become more harsh and the treatment by the zookeeper becomes uh, harsher. Um, and uh, to, to a point where it becomes abusive. Um, mm. the, uh, the main wolf in this thing, George McKay, who plays Jacob, um, he starts to regress and he's exhibiting more of his wolf characteristics, his wolf persona, as it were. Um, and that causes the zookeeper to in turn become more hostile with him, which then causes the patients to revolt. And eventually Lily Deprose, who thinks she's a wildcat of some de description, helps him escape. And, th and this is what I really want to hear your thoughts on. At the end of the movie, Lily Rose Depp gets him to the fence and then they're like, okay, we can escape this place. This this horrible place that we've been in that isn't working for any of us. We can leave. And she goes like, I can't. And she says something really brilliant on this. She was just like, we have no money. We have no way to live. <laughs> we're animals. Mm. This, I'm a girl. This is going to go badly for me. I'm not leaving, but by all means, you get out of here. And he's uh -huh. trying to convince her to go. And finally, he like, it, you know, it's you know, pooper get off the pot. So he hops the fence and he makes a run for it, and she stays. And while I thought that was probably the most truthful part of the movie, this idea of like mm. this is terrible, but I'm never good. It's it, this can only get worse for me. So you you make a run <laughs> for it, you you muscular man, you and. 
and I and I thought and I was thinking about what you said at the end of the review and I had a kind of a similar reflection. I was like, if the point of this movie, it's better to be happy and nuts than, than it is to be <laughs> sad and angry but sane. And I'm like, what are we saying with this movie, Whitney Simon? Well, I, I think the director doesn't really know. I think it it purports to be a celebration of uh, outsiderness kind of mm. finding your bliss being a, 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 a blissful, happy kook in a world mm. that doesn't have a place for you. Uh, that, that, that I think is what the, the statement with this uh, species dysphoria is. These are young people and they're all young and they're all white and they're all affluent and they have this species dysphoria. They want to uh, escape whatever they're doing. Uh, they clearly need to leave the human world. Mm. Uh, and, the frustrating thing about the movie is the psychology of the the characters is never really delved into. No, we never get any sort of senses to why this has happened or what their life is like at home. We see that uh, some of them have like doting parent, doting wealthy parents who are mm -hmm. trying to cure them of whatever this illness is. And, uh, and also that they're not making any kind of effort to understand them, which makes me think it has this kind of outsider quality to it. Um, Think of uh, a movie like this could have been made by Tim Burton, who mm. makes movies about these sort of like kooky outsiders. Uh, and so it's not really a psychological treatise of any kind. And so no. we're not getting into the minds of the characters in any kind of, I feel, meaningful way. Uh, all we're seeing is these people who need to escape. And the frustrating thing about this movie is... I sympathize far more with the zookeeper than I do with any of the patients. Uh, the zookeeper is trying to, uh, he's not necessarily, he's not trying to delve into their psychology. He clearly thinks very little of this psychosis. Yeah. He's, he's doing a lot of reality testing. The, yeah, one with the, the girl who thinks she's a parrot is a mm -hmm. big example of that. Yeah, and like the girl thinks she's a parrot, she's wearing feathers and has this beak, mm -hmm. and it's kind of an absurd image, but we're also meant to sort of sympathize with her because the zookeeper is yelling at her, and uh, there's a scene in the movie where she's standing in a window, flapping her wings, about right. to take off like a parrot would, and the zookeeper, Patty Considine, is encouraging her to do that. It's like, jump, mm -hmm. fly. Can you fly? Is your body a parrot's body? No, it's mm -hmm. not. You're, you're not a parrot and she ends up kind of chickening out. So he's proven mm -hmm. right in that instance. There's another scene uh, where a, a, a man who thinks he's a squirrel uh, mm -hmm. tries to climb a tree and ends up in this really gruesome shot, snapping off one of his fingernails. Uh, and, you know, in that moment, it's like, oh, wait, I don't have claws. And yet you'd think these would be kind of moments of minor catharsis, either for the patient or for the zookeeper. The, the patient would either realize that they are human or they would dig in deeper, say, well, that was the failure. So I'm just I need to prove myself in another way. Right. Uh, and neither of those things are provided. They're not. And, or it would be uh, if anything, it's just a catharsis for the zookeeper. He's the one who's sort of proven his point. And the fact that they keep on retreating back into their animal natures like, is that a failing of some kind? Is that a failing on the part of the patients? Is it a failing on the part of the zookeeper? Uh, it, it just, they're not really following through with the way these people think. Yeah. And that's, and that's incredibly frustrating. And all I right. want to do by the end of the movie is do more of those zookeeper tests. Say, 
you know, he's yelling at the people at the end, just sort of screaming, saying, you're not. And like, he's just lost his cool. He just mm-hmm. gets so frustrated that he starts screaming at these people. And I can tell the filmmakers wanted that moment mm-hmm. to be a moment of uh, revelation that he's the real animal here. Right, he's behaving not, like a monster. Right. You're supposed to see him as the villain. And, and like you and the whole time I'm going, but he's right. They're dysfunctional. <laughs> this yeah, is they, not the way to be. And there's there's also no indicator that the characters are any happier being animals. They all seem really miserable in this asylum. And it's not because of the asylum. It's just because they they have no place in the world. And maybe we're supposed to sympathize with that, that sense of being lost. But, I, I mean, it, the film isn't doing the heavy lifting to get me to feel that. My struggle with this movie, um, look, just a half a second on my background, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, okay. uh, have been um, for about 20 years now, uh, mostly working with really impoverished people or in the last decade, um, mm-hmm. correctional healthcare. And I immediately recognize these as coping mechanisms for trauma. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm able to project that from myself because of my background. I wish the movie had talked about like, you know, even like, I'm not asking for them to, as you said, do a treatise on mental illness, but it would have been nice to have had a, at least a line or two or a conversation about, Hey, these are people who develop these dysfunctional coping mechanisms for the trauma they've suffered and talk a little bit about the trauma. The whole hmm. thing is sort of a like cognitive behavioral uh, exercise in okay, we'll act like you know, walk like a man, you know, be a be a human being, not a squirrel, not a parrot. I, I mentioned reality to walk on two legs, not on four. To walk on four <laughs> legs breaks the law. What happens when the rules aren't fair? That's right. All the way we go. They should have played No Spill Blood by Oingo Bungo over the credits. That would have been great. I, I would have had a good laugh, and I needed it at the end of that movie. <laughs> um, just, just to sort of uh, bring this to a wrap, I my that was the I liked the movie, you know, as, as sort of just again, just because we digest so much of like the Marvel, Star Wars, Ghostbusters type stuff out there. Mm-hmm. I at least like the movie that was trying to, you know, be small and point to a very specific thing and and play with it and say, well, what if you know, what if we had this group of people who thought they were animals? What would this look like? And you know, but like you said, the problem is. The movie is making the sanest guy in the movie seem like the villain. And I'm like, hmm, I don't really like your perspective here. The, the, yeah. the narrative perspective of this movie seems, I don't want to, it, it, it seems like it, it it forgives mental illness as some sort of like, <laughs> I don't know if you remember the Predator movie from a few years ago where they thought autism oh, was a superpower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, that, that Alice in Wonderland, sort of mm. psychedelic 70s, 60s, like, you know, craziness and mental illness and drugs are all wonderful and should be celebrated. And it's like, yes, but then how would we eat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who makes the stuff and grows the food if we're all nuts and having fun? Yeah. You know, um, and- I, I remember... Um, I remember seeing a film once. It's not a good movie uh, with Sean mm. Penn. It's called uh, I Am Sam. And it's oh, uh, yeah. one, one of the more notorious examples of, of a Hollywood, a major Hollywood player playing a neurodivergent character. And mm. uh, some would say to an offensive degree, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not one to speak. Uh, I, uh, and there is a scene in that movie. Uh, the movie is about this neurodivergent man who, um, or, 
mentally um mentally incapacitated man who is fighting for the right to uh, maintain custody of his daughter mm-hmm. and uh the the state is arguing well no because he actually has the mentality of of a child he's about as mature as a five-year-old he doesn't have the capacity to raise a child who is uh who is not neurodivergent and uh we're supposed to sympathize with that because he wants to raise his daughter he loves his daughter and of course you know that's that's very sad that if you would need to be taken away mm-hmm. uh but there's a scene where one of the, the the bad guys of the movie uh who's arguing to keep the daughter and the father separate uh, says that he doesn't want Sean Penn to win this case because if he does, he knows he's going to see the daughter again. Something's mm-hmm. going to happen where the daughter is going to be needed, going to be taken away again. This isn't going to turn out well. I see, and he even argues, I see this sort of thing all the time. And I feel that way about the end of Wolf. Okay, mm-hmm. he's free of this hospital. He's going to run out into the woods. We're going to see him again. He's going to come back. They're going to catch him. He's not going to you know, go out into the woods and be a wolf. If you really wanted to sort of push the, bo- the point home, add like a fantasy element where he steps out into the woods and he sheds his human skin and this magical mm-hmm. metamorphosis and actually becomes a wolf and runs out into the wild. That would have at least, you know, pointed out in this sort of fantasy way that this is where he really belonged. Mm-hmm. But he, we don't get anything like that. We get the sense that he's definitely more comfortable, you know, living in the wild, being in the woods. Right. But he should, doesn't seem. Should have, quoted, should have quoted Thoreau and said, "I'm going off in the woods to live deliberately." Yeah, he, <laughs> I get no sense that he's prepared to live in the woods. That this is right. something he's capable of. That he did it for a long time in the past. I just see this guy ready to return when you know the food runs out or when he can't right. find door mice to eat or whatever it is he's doing out there when he's trespassed off someone's property and taken to jail yeah where, yeah, yeah. where they don't cotton to no wolf behavior <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this was an immensely frustrating movie because i feel like it didn't come to the any sort of points that it wanted to no it i i've often said um when we some some movies just unravel like they they just ran out of footage they're like, okay, well, we reached the end of the reel. We're done now. Roll credits. Yeah. Like, huh? Um, so I think, you know, it's it's I think this was an okay first start, but it might have needed another pass through through the script writing process. And another thing it might have needed, this is one of my tired ad reads, is Grammarly. Grammarly's <laughs> AI products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. Okay, let's get to lamb. So lamb. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh boy, lamb! Yeah, um, it made it, it's made its cans um, debut July thirteenth, twenty twenty one, and then it came out in Iceland, and then I guess the rest of the world in September twenty fourth of twenty twenty one. This is a movie with subtitles, uh, which I don't get to do very often. It was interesting, oh, especially but the hearing sub- the Icelandic subtitle, language. Yeah, subtitles when you get any words at all, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. The um, the star is uh, Naomi Rapace. Um, 
and it's essentially about a couple which at first pass listening uh, watching this movie i didn't quite get some of this i had to go back and read about like what is this about now it's it's a it's about a husband and wife who are going through some marriage troubles after the death of their child and they're running a sheep farm in iceland and an entity impregnates one of the sheep who then gives birth to a hybrid human sheep baby who they oh. then go ahead well, you're you're kind of you're kind of skipping ahead because they withhold that information for you okay. for a long time in this movie. Right. Uh, the, a sheep gives birth to a lamb, and they and we mm. see the lamb's head, but we mm. never see the whole of the lamb's body. And they take it inside and bundle it up, and we never see the lamb's body. But they're treating it kind of like a a human baby, mm-hmm. and it's not until and the mama sheep is like butting its head on the the house outside bring give me my baby back we think that they've just <laughs> taken the lamb inside right that's it they're, and you know the only there's there's nothing really creepy about it they're just sort of living Caring with a little it. lamb yeah it's cute like, you almost, you're almost to believe like maybe the lamb is crippled in some way and they're having to take care of it other than yeah. Naomi repace when it's born and again you only as she's pointing out you only see the head of it she just has a sort of shocked look on her face and then almost like in a trance she picks it up and takes it into the house and then we're, you know, we're into caring for it as a baby. And as you said, it's, it's wrapped up. You just see the head. Um, it's not revealed until later, um, much later, as a matter of fact, where mm-hmm. the child, as it's growing, leaves the house at some point and is like down by the river. And you, you see like, oh, it's it's a lamb's head on a on a child. Uh, like, yeah, on a human human child's body. Like she <laughs> she picks it up. Mm-hmm. We see like a human body and uh, and yeah, it becomes it becomes this new kind of movie at that point. Yeah. At first it was like, okay, this, this is a psychological study. This is uh, uh, people who are clearly projecting the absence of their lost child onto the presence of this animal. Uh, And it just sort of like kind of magically struck them to do so in this moment, which I'm fine with. I think that's, that's Mm -hmm. a good way to sort of look at it. And then when we, it's revealed to be this sort of fantasy creature, you can tell that it's trying to go for something a little bit more fairy tale like that. There's mm-hmm. some sort of fable or, or aphoristic quality about the movie that they're trying to uh, explore some sort of complex um, human morality using this uh, adorable fantasy animal. Right. And uh, that's meant to be challenged by the appearance of the uh, husband's brother who uh, as we will learn pretty quickly uh, once had an affair with Nomi Rapace and he would very happily like to start that affair again. Uh, and he sees the lamb and he sees it as this strange creature. He sees a lamb with a human body and he doesn't really know how to react to that, but their insistence on him treating it like a human baby uh, is sort of has him eventually sort of coming around. He stops feeding it grass and starts mm-hmm. viewing it as a kid. And it becomes this sort of hothouse, um, little uh, uh, emotional marital drama between these three characters. And the lamb doesn't matter to that. Right. <laughs> the, the lamb isn't part the the fable like quality, whatever we're trying to explore with the lamb is, is sort of pushed aside. The lamb doesn't instigate any of that. The lamb doesn't enhance any of that. And the whole movie is kind of a relationship drama and the lamb is sort of an antecedent to the whole thing. It's just sort of hanging around, but this this is about the husband and the wife and the brother and their relationship with each other. Yeah. And uh, 
the climax of the film is we learn the actual nature of the, what the lamb is like mm-hmm. a, a little bit more as to where it came from or what it was or why it was uh, living with them. And that it's not a satisfying conclusion for me. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, now I know what the lamb is. I still don't know why I still don't right. know like what this was supposed to represent or why it was necessary to explore this uh, human drama that these characters were going through. Uh, and that was really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most frustrating thing of all was listening to the score of this film, listening to the music and the long contemplative shots and these beautiful vistas and this big valley in Iceland. And it is trying to trick me into thinking <laughs> that this is a horror movie of some kind, that there's right. some sort of sense of foreboding that something really horrible is going to happen because of this lamb or that the true nature of this lamb is going to reveal the true inky blackness of the human heart. Uh, no, it, do- it doesn't. It, nothing really kind of comes to a head. Nothing really terrifying happens but it's being directed as if what I'm watching is supposed to be terrifying. And that's really frustrating because that Mm -hmm. is a bad stylistic choice. If they had made it a little bit more plinky and a little bit more Mm -hmm. lighthearted or even a little bit more folksy about, you know, some sort of bardic tradition as if we were being told this kind of story rather than focusing on the long natural shots and the really spooky score, then maybe I would have picked up on something a, a little bit different, but your insistence on me taking this as a horror film isn't working. It, it's a, it's a, it's a movie that wants you to be contemplative. It wants you to be thinking about what's happening while it's going on. It wants you to listen in closely. There is a lot of whispering and long soulful glances at the camera mm-hmm. or looking askance and all of that. And sort of like artfully done. It's a very pretty movie to watch given the, the landscapes and whatnot, but when you sort of take a step back and you're like, okay, I can appreciate it's sort of indie quality, but what happened in this movie? Mm. I, and I haven't, I've only seen clips of it, but you know, Adam driver and Scarlett Johansson in a marriage story. I mean, like, you know, they're, this is a marriage that's, that's going down the tubes as near as I can tell. And they think they're, mm. you know, and there's, they're having a fight. I was thinking about this before. I'm like, like this was this this was like somebody who watched like ruthless people or something and was like okay but what if we removed everything that made that movie fun and just focused on the marriage falling apart like okay <laughs> but who'd watch that all right but what if we put a lamb hybrid in there like it's a really, it's like it, kind of like with with wolf where you start to wonder what is it you're trying to tell us with this movie and why did you think you needed the lamb in there because if you just yeah, wanted to yeah. talk about how marriages fall apart and you know how children can affect a marriage especially the death of a child there's a movie in there there's plenty of movies in there plenty Mm -hmm. of movies that have done that but if you're going to then throw in the mutant lamb (laughs) you need to do a little bit more to it than it it just being a casual observer to this world around it um peter comes off as even even when the, the the highest point of tension in this movie short of the ending is when Peter goes to shoot the lamb and like and, and I really did have like an abject moment of horror like oh my god he's going to shoot this child lamb thing you know and what what's going to happen and then the way that it's cut you don't get a sense of why he changed his mind he just he he does you're supposed to extrapolate well, that he had it he uh... had 
he couldn't do it. He had a he had a moment, you know, his conscience got yeah. to him, something along those lines. But nothing ever gets really explored. Yeah, I mean, I I understand that moments. That's that's like a Disney movie moments. Like I gotta shoot old Yeller. Oh, I can't do it. The dog is too cute. You know, the the, the lamb is cute. It's a lamb. Lamb is a little cute, and it's also like has a human baby. So it's mm-hmm. it. I understand his difficulty in that moment, but yes, it doesn't really lead to anything being unlocked or changed in him, and that's really frustrating. Yeah. Um... Also, if you're going to talk about how so the problem with, with the movie, and like I said, I had to go back and read the plot synopsis in order to get this this level of detail. But I watched it very closely in a very quiet room. I watched it on, on my phone on, during my lunch break. And I'm sitting there, and you can tell there's some tension between um, the couple. You can tell that th- there's, there's a bit of space between them, but you don't know why, and it's never really talked about. Mm. Um, and, I, and I wish that if... I love the the best part of this movie for me is that line between the two brothers when the brother's like, what the F man? Like, why do you, why why is this thing in your house? What are we doing here? And Mm -hmm. um, the other brother says, it's happiness. And I got it. Like, I, I, I understand, you know, the, the idea of what a child can bring to a marriage that's going through some troubles. I mean, Mm -hmm. not always. It could also, it could also cause more troubles, but there's, there's certainly, there's certainly a level of appreciation I have for we brought this child into the world and it saved us. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. I'm with you so far. And I, and I love that line. It's happiness. Leave it alone. Um, problem is I wish there had been a little bit more exploration of what made the couple kind of fall to pieces before all this happened. It's like, I, I I'm a very, I'm very fond of saying, you know, film should show, not tell, but to be utterly absent of these things, you know, makes me struggle with with the film. Um, like I said, it's, it's a lot of great performances, but it's also a lot of, you know, it's it's also a lot of uh, sorrowful glances at the camera for long periods of time. And I'm going, all right, like, give me something else here. Yeah, yeah, just that anything, anything would have been fine. <laughs> All right. I mean, overall, I I liked Lamb, and then the ending where with the uh, with the beastie coming to claim the child. I was like, mm. I was I was trying to. I had a lot to do to get ready for this, um, among other things. I only do 170 podcasts. I'm sure you know. Um, mm. d- busy yourself, so I'm kind of watching with one eye and doing stuff on the computer with the other, and then suddenly this like we spoil the movies here this ram monster thing shows up with a gun <laughs> well it's it's a it, he's a, a um not a centaur a satyr a, yeah a, they, they live with a satyr essentially and uh <laughs> but it's yeah it's, he's like a, a ram man with hooves and uh it's, and i actually i had that like visceral what the hell is this moment <laughs> like what am yeah. i watching here and then the poor man dies and his wife shows up and she's just catatonic with regret and and, and sadness and the movie ends and i'm like all right <laughs> but, and and that's what that is <laughs> and lobster so um before we jump into our last movie of the evening here because i think we've we've talked all the, what we can about lamb what are you listening to these days what kind of music you're you're uh, putting on when you're doing your reviews for ign oh, and whatnot oh gosh well i mean i i can't do that i can't write and listen to music at the same time and i don't understand the people who can i get distracted i have to concentrate i need total silence um sure. Uh, when I'm driving to and from work, uh, I either listen to, um, like spoken word stuff. I listen to like this American life or a lot of different podcasts, uh, mm-hmm. 
and I also I'm I'm a big uh, record collector. So okay. I'm, I'm, I have this, this is really embarrassing and also how old fashioned I have. I have in my car, a little miniature wooden box that carries mm-hmm. 40 CDs in it. So I have this, not even one of those wallets. I don't like those wallets because you have to take the mm-hmm. CDs out and it's too much of a hassle. Uh, <laughs> so I just have less of a hassle and far less logical is a box. I just have a big wooden box in my, on the front seat of my car. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been sort of working through this gigantic uh, slew of compact discs that I've accumulated over the course of maybe the last year or so. Um, and they're of all different kinds. Um, a lot of them are uh, compilations of like old rockabilly records. Okay. Uh, when I was traveling in Canada once for a set visit, I got to visit the set of, um, it was uh, not, I think, I think it was cult, not cult of Chucky, but uh, the one right before it curse of okay. Chucky curse of Chucky was uh, being filmed in Canada. And, uh, it was all night shoots. So we were sort of left to our own devices during the day. I wandered into a thrift store and I discovered this, uh, line of records, uh, the label, a record label called righteous records. And it was, it put out Christian music, but I guess to pay the bills, they had also somehow gained access to every single record in uh, Lux interior and poison Ivy's collection, uh, from the cramps. And it was just, this is sort of like a subgenre unto itself records that Lux interior collected because Lux interior had a very eclectic, weird, deep cut taste in really weird music. Uh, and yeah, you can buy like two CD sets. There's like 56 more of these tracks of, you know, here's a song about, here's a song about a bear. Here's a song about being lost <laughs> in a cave. Here's a song about sneezing. You know, it's just these really weird old rockabilly songs about these really bizarre topics. Um, it wasn't until I got one of those that I realized that the cramps goo goo muck is a cover. Uh, and it's really funny going through the liner notes of these compilations mm-hmm. because, you know, the, all these like really weird 45s that they had in their garage uh, were on these like little fly by night labels. And you'll read the mm-hmm. liner notes and they'll say, we don't know anything about this label. Like it was, <laughs> it was, it was formed just to record this one song and then it broke up. We think. We don't know anything about this artist. We can't, f- can't find his name anywhere. We don't know anything about the musicians who played on it, what studio musicians might have been on it. But Lux Interior had one, so we're going to put it on here. Like, that's Lux Interior's collection, was he found every record there was only a single copy of and then based a mm. band on it. That's friggin' cool. So that's what I'm that listening to cool. these days. Well, I'll tell you... Um... You, you remind me uh, of again back in the old days where my friends and I used to go to like independent record stores of the, that plus we would go to Tower Records or you know you know we, we grew up in the malls of the 80s so there was the Sam Goody and always looking <laughs> for like the most obscure thing we could find and so uh, while I appreciate Amazon Music's 70 million tracks that you can uh, stream with our giveaway here that we're doing a free 30 day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. If you click the link in our description of this podcast at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network, I do miss the the hunt and peck and the, the thrill of the hunt of going to the record store to find, you know, yeah, like, yeah. oh my God, I found, you know, I found an old ministry single uh, that, <laughs> that I've never heard of before, things like that, you know, Ooh. or, um, when people used to like on consignment bring in mixtapes that they had like professionally made mixtapes that they made. I remember those from when I worked in record stores. 
All right, so back to where we started here at the top of the show. Pig, starring Nicolas Cage. And I just want to share this with you really quick. There's a debate going among all of my movie review friends, people I podcast with. Hmm. They can't figure out if Nicolas Cage and Bruce Willis are just taking these movies now because they like to act. They are professional actors. This is this is their passion. And they'll just kind of, oh. and they, they're at a point in their careers now where they can just take any project that, you know, just to play. Or they owe gobs and gobs of money in gambling debts. No, we can't decide. <laughs> well, um, it for for Nicolas Cage, it might be the debts thing because his 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 debt has was widely publicized. We know about okay. the money he owes. Um, Bruce Willis, I think he's just I think he's just working. Uh, yeah. You know, this is how he pays bills. He needs to act. He is an actor. He needs to act. He's known for acting in action films. So, sure. He's going to star in this little low budget action film. He's not above that. I actually kind of respect the integrity, uh, mm. although making really crappy movies these days. Um, well, I'm, I, I'm trying to think what the last like Bruce Willis film I even saw was. I know, like there's a recent one called Cosmic Sin. There's another one's like Out of Law or something like that. Like he's showing up in these yeah. in these movies I've never even heard of on streaming services, and they're yeah. all um, within the last year. I, I think it came in just Willow or in a competition. I uh, I just called up his filmography, and in 2021 mm. alone, he has eight credits: uh, Cosmic Sin, uh, Out of Death, right, <laughs> Midnight in the Switchgrass, mm-hmm. uh, Survive the Game, Apex deadlock american siege and fortress yep uh i haven't heard of any of these have you no i heard of cosmic sin Mm -hmm. that was the one i heard of i didn't see it uh the last movie i saw that had uh bruce willis in it was the lego movie (laughs) 2 um we're gonna I, I don't want i think out of death is the one we're gonna get to that and another Nicolas cage movie prisoners of Ghostland, sometime next month okay. um but but uh, uh, so that's the reason why i know about them but yeah it's, it, we we keep seeing all these different we did jujitsu a couple of months uh last year because i found out that it was actually an adaptation of the comic book and i'm like i gotta hmm. see what this is now oh it, it, occasionally i will do a show about a subject matter that drives one of my podcast friends nearly to the brink of saying i don't want to do this with you anymore <laughs> jujitsu was one of them jujitsu right. oh god i don't even know jujitsu um, oh it's yeah it's but one of the- bruce willis uh you know you go back to the you know earlier in his career back in the mm-hmm. 80s and he was he was a like a, a comedic guy he was a comedian yeah. he was a romantic lead moonlight and uh yeah, exactly. Moonlighting was sort of what got him the job, and he was in mm-hmm. uh, hit comedy films like Look Who's Talking and tried ambitious uh, comedy projects like The Bonfire of the Vanities, which is awful, mm-hmm. by the way. It was in Blind Date. Um, I love Blind Date. It's such a I'm, stupid movie. It, it wasn't until he did, um, I think, The Last Boy Scout that mm-hmm. he did an action film other than Die Hard. And, right. uh, and it was only then that he really kind of started to... Um, emerge in the popular consciousness as an action star because i grew up watching him in films like death becomes her and Liquid weapon um mm. you know pulp fiction these are you know he, he was in a lot of varied kinds of movies and at some point just the the cliche got larger than him as an actor i think he's actually quite a talented actor but he kind of rested on his laurels and is now doing nothing but the action thing um and the same thing might be said of Nicolas Cage, but Nicolas Cage, unlike Bruce Willis, never had, uh, he was never pigeonholed. 
He never mm-hmm. had like a certain type of role that he was known for. He always took really interesting, varied roles. And he's been in comedy films. He's been in horror movies. He's been in action pictures. He's been in horror movies. He, he uh, that, uh, one period in the nineties, you know, um, in and around uh, bringing out the dead where he mm-hmm. was in a bunch of really like the, the it was like buckshot. The, the kinds of pictures he was in were all over the place. Yeah. 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 Uh, great. Great. I like that. <laughs> you know, I, so I, do I. I. I like an actor that likes to play in different genres and, and yeah. you know, is just just I just likes to stretch. So what what, what well and, and just to, to bring us into pig, mm-hmm. um like he, he he really liked to stretch, uh, but he eventually kind of got a reputation not as like a particular type of uh movie star, maybe. Mm-hmm. But he did get a reputation as being the guy who is crazy. Like he, he yeah, shouts a lot and bugs his eye, but you know, bugs his eyes out, and he, right. he does take a lot of roles uh, where he gets to sort of overact a lot. And that's a choice. That's not mm-hmm. bad acting. That's not like what he's the only thing he's capable of. It's just he he can play that kind of a role, and so he did. He can also play very mellow roles, right. like in Pig. Pig is not a kooky role. No. Uh, pig uh you know i i you you compared it to john wick i would compare it more to another film we did called mandy uh which okay. is a, a film i adore which is also kind of a, a man in his comfort zone has to leave and pursue the people who took the love of his life and mandy it was his wife in this one it's his pet but you know the, the setup is similar and uh mandy is is that's a kook. That's a crazy movie. That's wonderful. Mm. Like the, the bad guys are like this demonic cult that have been hiring these like cocaine sniffing motorcycle riding demonic Cenobites from hell to, (laughs) to, uh, you know, facilitate the kidnapping of this woman. And she was kidnapped because this, uh, acid taking cult leader has taken far too much acid and his brain doesn't work anymore and he's convinced he actually is the messiah and has kidnapped her to be like one of his brides and when she laughs at his dick she uh she, she essentially you know incurs i'm sorry can i cuss on the show i, I probably not have said that okay no you're good she she laughs at his genitals and that sort of mm-hmm. uh, sparks him to evil things and uh, Nicholas Cage in that movie ends up having to go on this weird phantasmagoric odyssey where he like forges an axe and has to go after these Cenobites who are like doing coke. And it it's just a, it's amazing. It's like living in a heavy metal record uh, cover. I love Mandy. Please see Mandy. I will. That's on yeah. the list now. You, you, <laughs> you the- went exactly where where I wanted to go with this because. That that is what every like everybody that I do this uh, I do movies review with just thinks of Nicolas Cage as kind of like a you know almost more modern Robin Williams from the seventies on coke you know just just eyes bugging out going crazy and you know mm-hmm. screaming into the camera and the thing about Pig and, and we'll get into the plot real quick is it's such it's such a much more reserved performance yeah and yeah. it was re- refreshingly reserved especially for Nicolas Cage it's a really simple premise. Um, he ha- he's an old he's a retired chef that's living as a recluse in the uh, forest of Oregon. He's got a truffle pig. That's how he makes his living is he hunts truffles and he sells them to a wholesaler um, and somebody steals his pig. And then he has to go kind of re-enter through through the, through this detour through underground fighting. Um, he has to re-enter the uh, the culinary world 
in order to try to get back his pig. And it um, along the way, we meet uh, the wholesaler's dad, who turns out um, he was married to this woman. And they and the last meal they had together where they were happy was actually cooked by Nicolas Cage. And, and he sort of uses all of that to try to get his pig back, which turns out in the in the um, act of stealing it was killed by these meth heads. And um, and then the movie ends with Nicolas Cage playing a uh, a tape that was left to him by his ex-wife. And I love this movie. Um, <laughs> I, lo- I love it for its simplicity. Like I said, somebody sold it to me as like John Wick. I remember like the Twitter, uh, the Twitter scape was that that was the whisper on it. And it's, you know, obviously he's not punching people to death for, for, for 90 minutes like 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 Keanu Reeves does. Um, it's much more thoughtful than all of that. You know, it's sort of a mystery. He's got to figure out, you know, got to talk to people and try to figure out what happened to this darn pig. Um, but it also, and, and this, the, I, I, I do enjoy a good cooking show. Um, I love <laughs> John Favreau's The Chef Show. I was really into that documentary series for a while. Oh, well, and, I mean, that's, that's like, that's what's replaced Law and Order as like the nation's comfort food is just, yeah. When you're not eating, you're watching shows about eating. Um, my yep. wife and I, more more often than I care to admit, have dozed <laughs> off to a rerun of Chopped on the Food Network. Uh, yep. Which is a it's I, it, it's a cooking game show that somehow has lasted fifty seasons. It's amazing. If we're not watching Family Guy to go to bed, we're watching Diners, Dives, and Drive-ins, um, yeah. or however the, that goes. Di- diner, but, diners, Drive-ins, and Dives. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the point that I was getting to, and I want to get your feedback on this, is how much this is a love letter to like the culinary world. And sort of the the, the high point of this film for me, it's my, my favorite scene in the movie, and I'll throw it over to you, is where they, they, they need to talk to this chef who now owns a modern restaurant. And they need to get information from him. It's my and favorite scene too, yeah. <laughs> and he's loath to give it up. And, and it turns out he used to work for Nicolas Cage. And Nicolas Cage sort of very calmly, very, uh, very sharply lays into him about mm-hmm. how he sold out and opened this shishi modern hoity-toity restaurant instead of opening the gastropub that he wanted to, yeah. you know, and he ran away from his dream. And and this guy's performance in this is so key because he has, like, I don't know if you watch wrestling at all, but he has the Vince McMahon pulling his ear, his whole world is falling apart around him moment. As he's trying to get through this conversation with Nicolas Cage, and he knows he's right, but he can't, but he can't admit that. It's such a great scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I love that. That's my favorite scene in the movie as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think I liked it because I, I kind of related to the character a little bit. I think this is something we can all relate to. Where sure. uh, he's he's a very successful restaurateur. He uh, is very proud of the upcoming truffle menu. He's a, proud of the wine he's serving. And he's also incredibly awkward and kind of dorky in that he's trying to laugh off the criticism that he knows is completely legit. And uh, that's some, you know, I think that's something we all do. If somebody, somebody says something really harsh to us, we don't recoil. We kind of joking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're joking. It's it's okay. I know it's legit, but we're joking. And uh, so I love that performance from that, that actor. Uh, But I also, it, it it reveals a lot about the characters in that one scene. Uh, it reveals that a Nicholas Cage remembers a lot, and I know that a lot of people who have perfect recall 
tends to uh, withdraw. It kind of affects their mind a lot. And he has perfect mm-hmm. recall. And that explains a, an awful lot about him ch- choosing the path that he did, you know, leaving the, the restaurant business. Right. It reveals that the restaurant business is a lot like the mob, which is completely believable. It's not this weird fantasy that, oh, isn't it funny that the restaurants are kind of like the mob? No, I would buy that they're run that way, that they're <laughs> stealing chefs and like hiring meth addicts to steal like rival chefs, truffle pigs. Like, sure. That that seems kind of realistic to me. The hot uh, culinary universe. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, that, that, that's, but poor pathetic chef who is successful has revealed in that moment like that he wanted to open this pub and that he mm-hmm. still had in his mind the star dish that he was going to make it was like a, a oh it was like a liver egg of some kind uh and right. I, I think we all have that moment where we realize we've chosen the path we've chosen for ease and success mm-hmm. because that's kind of where we want our lives to be uh and we did have to cut something off and it's not like we gave up on our dreams. It's just that we found the practical path. And uh, here's Nicolas Cage, who is so passionate about food. He was willing to live in the woods with a pig by himself to complete, you know, sort of living his dream rather than compromise and open up this restaurant that he doesn't care about. Where's your right. passion, man? We understand that he's a deeply passionate person, that this other guy kind of gave up his passion. It's there's so much life in that one one scene in that one moment. I really, really loved it. Uh and I liked the rest of Pig besides. Yeah. I was thinking about um, I think the, the other part of the movie that really stands out mm-hmm. to me is when they're making the le- the, the the meal for uh right. Darius, Amir's father, I believe is his name, and how lovingly the camera shows them preparing the food. You know, it, it's um, I've heard you guys talk about how sometimes, you know, there's the phrase out there like the male gaze or, you know, the camera is leering. And here it's it's, it, you know, the camera is show, showing you uh, how much love there is in making this food, how much effort goes into mm-hmm. it. And it's a very it's a very nice series of shots, a very well shot scene, I think. Um, and then his react, you know. It's a great bit of acting on the character who plays Darius's part where he's eating the food and then he remembers and he kind of has this like, you know, breakdown at the table. And then, of course, it, it ends in a fist fight. <laughs> but yeah, it's a little unfortunate, but I, I'll allow it. And then the tragedy of it all is there was no saving the pig because the pig was gone by this point. And I'm like, yeah. that is really, really sad. And like you know, like I said, I'm I'm watching this movie in contrast to a you know, it's like right smack in the you know the big reset of the summer blockbuster season after you know, after COVID, and it was just nice to see like a reflective movie about a guy who you know who's again his relationship ended and he sort of latched onto this pig and this pig is gone and he just like can I have this just one thing in the in the world you know can I be left alone with this one thing and be at peace. And and no, the answer is you can't. Yeah. And what you know, what a tragedy. So much of, of what comes out of Hollywood has to be a you know a crowd pleasing ending. It was kind of sadly refreshing, if I could use that oxymoron, <laughs> to see a to see to see a tragedy play out the way that it does. Um, yeah, it's the best yeah. film of the th- of the three, I think. Pig. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. The the other two, I think, didn't really sort of think out what they were trying to do. Uh, mm-hmm. as, as we've already talked about. Um, uh, and this one, you know, is, is about something. It is about sort of the human condition and sort of 
what what drives us to certain kinds of passions and how we how we elect to live follow uh and yeah that melancholy is carried everywhere on nicholas cage and uh you know he's he's uh, excuse me he's coated in blood for uh a good portion of this movie he gets in this big fist fight and they, he never washes off and that kind of bugs me <laughs> especially when he's in the kitchen later on preparing food for somebody else like you'd never go into a kitchen covered in human blood that's not sanitary yes. no no chef would do that they'd wash I, up first i suspect you don't watch a lot of combat sports well i mean i i, I don't doubt that he'd be coated in blood but i i doubt that no, he I, would be a, I was thinking he it was take more a shower eventually <laughs> no it's just like oh it, but i didn't know if it was just the walking to the kitchen in blood or just the fact that he was covered in blood only because like i have seen watching a lot of boxing and mma just these guys just covered in blood and they're like man let's let's go let's keep fighting um so i i i i was amused by that whole fight scene but to be honest with you uh, i thought it was better than what they did in bruised um i didn't see bruised but yeah um all right i i think uh unless there's anything else you want to talk about peg i think we have just about reached the conclusion here uh, no, I, I I do encourage everybody to see it though. Of of these three, this is the one uh, that that's uh, not just getting the most acclaim. It's worth mm-hmm. the most acclaim. It's worth your attention the most. Well, I, I don't want to say worth your attention, but uh, it is one that you would uh, do good to see, uh, just because of the great performances, the uh, the expert directing, like the handling of the emotional material. Material. I feel like Lamb is a, a marriage drama with a, a supernatural element that doesn't contribute to the the marriage drama. And right. Wolf is a movie about outsiders, I think, but the actual <laughs> symbols and the actual symbology and the actual meaning of the movie remains frustratingly opaque. Um, I, I just now I just want to have like a really rich meal with truffles in it. And, <laughs> and, you know, that's that's a good sign of a of a movie wants you makes you want to have a certain meal. Then yeah, I think uh, I think that's a good. Well one then, i'm sure at one point or another in your life you saw harold and kumar go to white castle and the, the, which essentially was a 90 minute commercial for that restaurant which then me when my friends and i were done watching the movie we actually did go to white castle like this was a bad idea but yes <laughs> i get what you're saying <laughs> whitney it was great having you on the show i really enjoyed talking to this i hope you'll come back at some point yeah, thank um, you for having me this is great and this was a an, the interesting uh of hoof core trilogies that we can uh the, the 2021 hoof core trilogy uh will go down in infamy as one of the most important cinematic movements of all time. So I'm glad I was, be, I was here to kick the doors open and let the world know. Sure. People should take a minute, maybe, maybe not see, you know, maybe take a break from seeing ghostbusters and eternals and whatever the next mm-hmm. crazy Marvel thing is. And what, for God's sakes, watch a nice little indie flick. Go, go see licorice pizza. I, that's actually next <laughs> on my list. I watched before tonight. I, my wife and I watched Spencer speaking of weirdo flicks. See, this mm-hmm. all, you know, it, we are lousy with options with PVOD and streaming out there. There's all these really good movies to see. So take take a break is all I'm saying. And Whitney, it was really great, great to have you. Go ahead and do your plugs where they can find you. Oh, uh, where where can't they find me? Um, I uh, run a podcasting network with uh, one William Bibiani. I am, we do a podcast or two every day. Uh, it's called the Critically Acclaimed Network. We, uh, we have a regular show where we review new films called Critically Acclaimed, but we do many other shows besides. Uh, whenever we get around to it, we do a show called Cancel Too Soon about canceled television shows. That's the uh, one I found you guys. I found PodCoin. Oh, yeah. For five minutes when PodCoin was a thing, that's oh, the show I... <laughs> that was 
the show I found was canceled too soon. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, if you uh, subscribe to our Patreon, you get even more shows. We do shows uh, about Batman. We do shows about Star Trek. Uh, so we, we delve into the pop culture stuff as well. We're not just you know, hoity-toity jerks about love and art movies. We just love art movies. Uh, I also uh, occasionally appear on a monthly podcast now called All About Ovid with 1B Peterson. We talk about the streaming service, Ovid, which is where a lot of deep cut art house stuff uh, goes. Uh, it's a lot of recent releases, a lot of things from the last decade or so that maybe got a week long uh, release in like New York or Los Angeles. You can find all of those films on Ovid and there's a lot of really interesting work on there. B and I get together every month and we talk about uh, whatever we saw that month on Ovid. Uh, what else am I doing? You can find me on the uh, social media. I'm on, you know, at Whitney Seibold. I am currently editing a radio drama. So if you're following me on the social media, I'll say when it's ready and then you can, uh, Venmo me a couple bucks and I'll send you a copy a 30 minute radio drama it, it'll be a Christmas show just in time for Christmas very good um, you insp your your canceled too, too soon show on Quibi inspired me to uh, <laughs> next month my friends and I are going to review Dummy because the idea of Anna Kendrick palling around with a sex doll was fantastic to me so yeah, I, 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 I can't wait to review that yeah, Dummy was one of the better things that I got to see on Quibi. Uh, long may it rain, and uh, and peace, peacefully may it rest. Uh, I I uh, recently got a gig. Oh, this is something I could pro should probably uh, hype. I started writing for Slash Film recently, so you can find my work. I actually am in print again, so you can find my work over on Slash Film. And one of the articles I got to write was on Quibi. So uh, because of course, and uh, yeah, go over to Slash Film, read my article on Quibi. That was really great. All right, folks, um, please go ahead and subscribe on our YouTube channel. We are trying to get on Rotten Tomatoes. That's our big goal. So if we get enough people subscribing on YouTube, we will finally meet the criteria for that. That's what I've been pushing lately. Or leave us a review on Apple Music, uh, Apple, um, uh, Apple Podcasts. As far as other movies we're reviewing, myself and speaking of triple features, myself and Jason Teasley reviewed King Richard, the guilty and night teeth earlier this week next week uh, myself and alexis hannah are reviewing west side story uh among other things and uh the week after that we've got nightmare alley and the new spider-man movie so go ahead and check us out there uh once again whitney thank you for coming on for uh, i'm mark rattledge he's whitney seibold this is triple feature be well be safe and behave 